Good morning, Valley Bible Church. So glad that you could join us here this morning in our live stream services. And um, uh, privileged this morning to be presenting the Word of God from the book of John in chapter 6. And um, what a great time to be able to do communion, even within your home or wherever you might be. Uh, what, a, what a privilege it is to remember Jesus Christ and what he did for us on a cross. And um, wow, I want to say before I even start, um, thank you to our AV department up here who shows up week after week after week and helps us uh, put together services that we can then put out to you in a pandemic like we're in right now. We appreciate everything they're doing up there and appreciate a worship team that shows up week after week after week. And uh, um, I get to be part of that team when I'm not preaching or when I'm not doing what I'm doing now. And um, I look forward to it. And so, uh, but we say thank you to them and thank you to all of the team up above there, uh, of whom without them, I wouldn't be able to talk with you this morning. So we say thank you to them. Um, we're continuing our series on miraculous conflict. Miraculous conflict. We're still in the book of John. We're going to be in the book of John through into next year, more than likely. Um, we, hope to re- we hope to finish up and get into chapter 8 or something like that before the Christmas season. So we have a plan. We have a plan in effect. And um, we thank God for his word and the fact that it speaks to us wherever we're at at the time that we're there. And so this morning I had the privilege of continuing chapter 6 um, and, and starting in verse 22. And um, I had a few thoughts as I looked this over, as I studied this. Um, I think that the purpose of the, the sign gifts, or the signs that, not sign gifts, but the signs that were taking place at the beginning of this chapter where Christ feeds 5,000 men, it said. 5,000 men. Um, There's some scholars that have taken that and expanded that out and said it was probably more like 20,000 individuals that were fed with the five loaves and the two fishes. And so um, if you, that's if you included women and children, and more than likely, uh, we don't feel like they were exclusionary. We feel like they were in the meeting at that time, and they were there. And so um, what an incredible thing. But I think the whole purpose of, the, of that or one of the purposes of that for sure. Uh, and then, you know, later on there's another sign there that were, where uh, Matt, Pastor Matt talked about it last week in, in the middle of all the chaos of ministry and everything that was going on around uh, the team that was on the sea there, the disciples that were on the sea, the, the chaos of the storm was coming. And what happens, Jesus comes walking out on the water toward them. And um, so another miracle that happened, but really kind of a, a personal miracle between Christ and his actual 12 disciples. Um, uh, this other miracle, obviously 20,000 people had been involved in it. And um, so I think that Christ did this miracle, and this was all set up. Um, you know, Christ said to the disciples when he was calling them, especially those that were fishers, he said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And um, in this particular passage and in the signs as Christ was performing different miracles, um, I'm reminded that he truly was a master fisherman, and he was a master fisherman for men and the souls of men, uh, in the fact that he utilized his power and his abilities um, in performing miracles through the Holy Spirit and performing those miracles, and that became the bait, as it were, the hook, the thing that brought men to him. Um, now, I know the power of the Holy Spirit could bring men to him too, but this seems like a very physical aspect of how he brought things to him. And I'm going to pick up in verse 22 of this passage uh, this morning. 
And um, so you'll have to stay with me based on, I tried to set a little bit of a, a, a tempo there as to what we're coming out of. Fed the 5,000, sent the disciples away, get them across back to Capernaum. They were on the east side of the, of the uh, uh, river there, the body of water there, the sea. And uh, he sent them back across and he didn't go with them, but then he walked across and we're gonna read through that. But um, he said that they, uh, in verse 22, let me, I'm gonna read the entire passage and then we'll break it out and, and go from there. The next day, so the next day, the day after he had walked across the water and they had landed over in Capernaum, um, he says the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went into Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Probably thinking in their minds, how did you get here? <laughs> but when did you get here is what they said. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, and oh, what a beautiful answer this is. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will, you, then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And I, I titled this, or the big idea that I got out of this was, there's a bread that brings eternal satisfaction or eternal life. There's a bread that brings eternal life. And it's not the bread that you eat physically. We'll talk about it. So what happens here in verse 22, the very first thing we see in, this, in the narrative here is that the people who had been with Christ 
when he fed the 5,000, they didn't see the miracle on the sea. They didn't get to see that. That was exclusive to the disciples, as Pastor Matt pointed out very clearly last week for us. But what did they do? They were looking for Jesus. Now, mind you, there had been a major storm on that sea, and I'm imagining that that storm probably even hit land a little bit. And so the next day, the very next day, though, they're searching for Jesus. Where is he at? We know he didn't get on the boat. He's not, he didn't go with the disciples, so he must be nearby. Let's find him, because we need to find out what's his next thing that he's going to do. What's the next meal we're going to get, you might say. The next day he began with a mystery. It began with a mystery to the people. They're like, where is he? But then some people from Tiberias came, or Tiberias came across in some boats, and the people that had been with him during the, the time that he had blessed the bread and it expanded and he fed all the people with that, those people said, hey, he must have gone to, to Capernaum because that's where he was from, really. That's where his ministry was set up. So he must be there. That's where the disciples were headed. Jesus must have went ahead and met them there somehow. So let's go there. So they get in these boats and they all head there. And as the passage says, when, he, when they got there, Lo and behold, who was there ahead of them? Jesus. He was there already. And like I say, they weren't aware that he had walked across this water and had joined his disciples in the boat. But, um, but so now they all get there, and, and then the number one thing they do is, how in the world did you get here? Like, you got to imagine that in their eyes, Jesus had played the biggest hide-and-go-seek thing on him, on them that had ever happened because it was like he was hiding from them. And he really wasn't, he had just gone back with his disciples, but in their minds they had been searching all over for him, couldn't find him, jumped in a boat. Now imagine, they had enough faith to think that he was there, so they jumped in a boat and went there looking for him. So they were seeking Jesus, that's where we find this passage opening up at. The very next day after the event of the people being fed, they, seeking for Jesus, and they're seeking out. The problem is, I believe the problem is, they're seeking him for the wrong reasons. They're looking for him for the wrong reasons. He says here, I'm going to read it again. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there. Jesus had entered it with disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias came and landed there. They convinced them, let's go look for Jesus. They get to Jesus, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, which was probably astonishing to them, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now you notice they're calling him Rabbi, so they still don't realize who he is. They still don't know who he is. And so the disciples, I think, probably were pretty impressed that these people had come all the way across there to see Jesus, and they're thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. Look, Jesus, look, they came all the way. They, they went through a storm yesterday. They got on boats, and they came over here to visit with you. Isn't that great? Well, I, I don't think Jesus was as impressed as the disciples were, and the reason would be is because he understood the hearts of men. We, we studied that the last time I preached. I think we talked about that, that Christ recognized the hearts of the men. And so he didn't accept them fully when they said they believed 
who he was. He didn't accept them fully in that because he said, wait a minute, I know, who, I know their hearts. Their hearts aren't fully engaged in who I really am. They believe in me because of what I can do. And so we're kind of in that circumstance. He knew that the people originally followed him because of his miracles. Now how do we know that? Well, we look back at, if you looked at chapter six, verse two, if we read that, it says, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed, that he had performed by healing the sick. So this multitude of people started to follow him because they were watching him heal people. And then, as we will note in the other Gospels and even in John, people started running ahead who had illnesses for him to heal them. So this is kind of where we're at in the passage, but, but now their motivation had changed. They're no longer satisfied with just the miracles because one of the great miracles was being fed by Jesus. He took these five loaves and two fishes and fed a multitude of people. So now they're following him not just for the journey of watching him heal other people and being involved in and seeing that, but also because if we hang out with Jesus, we'll get fed. Okay? Um, you know, sometimes I can get people to hang out with me pretty easy. Well, relatively easy if I offer to feed them. And I'm not Jesus, I ain't got any miracles in me, but I do know that if, if there's food offered, people from church show up, they'll show up. So this is not new, but it shows you the different level. There's a different level all of a sudden that's taken place. Their motivation became now we can get fed. I wanna mention something. Getting bread in their culture and during that time was not quite as simple as we find it to be. Um, the COVID virus thing, I don't know how many of you found out, but sometimes I would go to the store early on in the COVID virus, and guess what? There wasn't no bread there sometimes. That was ironic to our circumstance. To them, it was difficult to get bread. There was no preservatives, they didn't have those types of things. So when Jesus starts pumping out loaves of bread, they're like, hey, that's a lot easier than us working hard for the bread. So they're like, hey, we're gonna hang out with him. He can provide bread and fish and we don't have to do anything except hang out with him. So if you think about it, it, it attracted them that he was doing miracles. It attracted him that he could do these sign things. And if we look, even if we look back, I looked back a little bit, the point of the miracles was to get people there so that Christ could tell them about himself, so that they might possibly become followers of Christ. And I thought about, it, isn't that what happened in Nicodemus's case? Paul spoke on that earlier in this series, about Nicodemus was wanting to be with Jesus because of what Jesus was doing. And he ends up getting saved because of the bait, as it were. Like I said, Jesus was a good fisher. And so he did that. But now their interest had degenerated to the level of food. They had, it had degenerated down to a level of food. So then we get into verse 26 and 27. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs. Here's where his deity shows up. This is where him being a 
Christ being God shows up in this. Because now, remember I said he could see the hearts of the men earlier. Well, now he's, this is my proof that he could see it, right here in this verse. You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So he's saying, it's not even because of the miracles I did or the signs that I did. Now you're coming just because you want to be fed. Well, now, how did he know that? Well, he could see into their hearts. He could know that's what they were there for. And then look what he says in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So look, two kinds of food here. Two kinds of food. There's a food for your body. And this is a food that sustains the physical part of man. That's what they had experienced back in verses 2 through 11 or 12 there where Christ was feeding them the food that sustained them as people, as human beings. They had to have a certain amount. We all have to have food. But that food is temporal. It's temporary. Based by the fact, just think of your own life. You get up in the morning, you get a cup of coffee and some kind of breakfast. All right, that's the normal kind of pattern in our lives. And then about three and a half, four hours later, you need some more food, don't you? I do. I don't even make it three and a half, four hours. I'm on a two-hour schedule. I'll eat breakfast two hours later, i got to have something else. And then I'll eat lunch two hours after that. But the basis is, it's a temporal thing. It only works for a while. You only, until you burn it off. It doesn't stay with you. But it is definitely necessary, and it definitely sustains you. But the second food that he's talking about is a completely different food. It's a food for the spirit of man. It's for the inner man. And it's essential for eternal life. What people need is not food, but life. And life is a gift. Food only sustains the physical part of man, but Jesus gives eternal life through the food that he provides. So then the question is, well, how do we get this food? Hey, hey that sounds like a great food. They're missing the point, of course. Reminds you of the Samaritan woman who said to Jesus, wait a minute, I can get water and I'll never have to have water again? Remember that back in chapter four, I believe it is, where the Samaritan woman is, or chapter five maybe, where she's saying, wait a minute, I can draw water from the well and I'll never, you mean I don't even have to come back here and draw water again if I drink this water? What's, show me this water, Jesus. Show it to me. Well, that's what they're saying. Wait a minute. Where, where's this kind of food? Where do we get that kind of food? How do we obtain this food that Jesus is talking about? What happened was the people picked up on the wrong word when he spoke. Remember, he tells them how to get the food. In, in the verse we just read in 27, they're, they're saying, what is the work we need to do to get this food? What, what's the work that God requires for us to get this kind of food? What's he say there? Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. So you don't work for the food that endures for eternal life. 
you work for the food that's temporal, that spoils. That's the physical food. How, how long can you leave mayonnaise out in hot sun? Not very long, right? It spoils. But the food that he's talking about is the spiritual food. And what does he say? How do we get that? What's the work that we do for that? Well, I'm going to tell you, there is no work. Not any real work. Not what they were thinking. What does he say? They misinterpreted the meaning of the word work there. They thought that they could work for their salvation. They could work for this food that would give them eternal value. It would give them an eternal life, an inside substance. We'll be able to eat this and never hunger again. That type of food. But he says in the passages, you do not work for this food that spoils, but what's he say about the food that doesn't spoil? The Son of Man will give you this food. Hmm. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Okay? For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They were totally, you got to remember, this group of people were totally steeped in legalism. Everything was legalistic. They had, the Pharisees and Sadducees, those people had had them every law that you could imagine if they were living under. So they thought they had to do something to merit it. So what is the work that God requires? What is the work that God requires? Well, we see it in verse 29, and I, I love the verse 29. Thank you, Lord, for putting verse 29 in here. What does it say? Jesus answered. When they said, what's this work that we can do? He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, I don't know about you, but how much work does it take for you to be able to believe something? Not a lot of physical labor in that, is there? There's not a lot of, I got to do this or that or the other. I just either believe it or I don't believe it. When you believe on something, what kind of work is involved in it? I believe that's a chair. I believe, well, it's a stool, right? I believe that's a stool. Okay, so how do I really believe it? It looks like a stool, doesn't it? Round on the top, got some four legs on it and everything. How do I place faith or belief that I actually think that it will hold me up, though? It's a stool for sitting on, right? How do I know that? Or how do I prove that I believe that to be true? Well, I sit on it, right? Now when I sit down on it, it holds me up. That just became a reality. So that's what they were doing. They were like, hey, um, just believe in the one he has sent. Jesus made it clear that the only one work that was necessary, the only thing that was necessary to get this food that he was talking about, the spiritual food, the only necessity was to believe on the one that had been sent by the Father, which was Jesus. When a person believes on Christ, he is not performing a good work that earns him salvation. There is certainly no credit in believing, for it is what God does in response to our faith that is important. It's your faith, it's your action of faith. You believe that Christ died for you. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 10. Let me just, oh, I'll just read them to you real quick. Sorry up there in the booth, I didn't warn you. But let me just read these. I love this section of scripture. 
Verses 8 through 10. Can I read this with my eyes here? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So believing is faith. I'm just placing faith in the fact that you are the son of God. You are the one who is the meal, basically. And we're going to get there. So they go from, the next verses, verses 30 through 34, they went from seeking him in 22 through 25 to now having this dialogue about food that spoils and food that doesn't spoil. And we have that dialogue that one is for the spirit, one's for the body. Now we get here, so now they, they kind of change the subject matter. I, I love how they do this. <laughs> they begin by seeking him, but then they started to seek signs from him. They went from seeking him to now seeking a sign from them, from him. Now, I don't know about you, but if we follow the narrative of this story, they've already seen him take five loaves of bread. Five little, I believe they were barley loaves, which probably weren't very big. They weren't like a big loaf of bread like we get in the store. They were probably fairly small. And two fishes. And they watched him continue to pull out of the basket breads of, I mean loaves of bread out of these different baskets. He just kept pulling them out until everyone was fed and they had bread left over. So they've already seen that, right? And they've probably been following him for a while. So they've seen other signs or miracles that he has performed. And what's the first thing they say? They, they kind of get backed into a little bit of a corner there and they say, well, show us a sign then. What's, show us a sign. If you're this bread of life sent by the Father, or he hasn't even called himself the bread of life yet, but if you're the one sent by the Father, show us a sign then. I would have been like, I already showed you signs, man. You've had enough. But what's the Lord do? And so they ask him in verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? It's all on you. You've got to prove yourself. The crowd began by seeking him. Now they're seeking a sign. For, you know, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says that the, the Jewish people required a sign. And it goes way back even in the Old Testament. The rabbis had taught that the Messiah, when he came, would duplicate the miracles of the manna. Found that in Exodus 16, that he would be able to duplicate what Moses had done in the desert, or what they perceived Moses having done. If Jesus was truly sent by God, then let him prove it by causing manna to fall from heaven. That's what they're saying to him. They wanted to see and believe. They wanted to see and then believe. You remember I did a sermon about five weeks ago. Seeing is not believing. And it, I believe that's still today. Seeing is not believing. It says there, they wanted to see it and be able to believe it. But faith is based but faith that is based on signs alone and not on the truth of the word can lead a person astray. For even Satan was able to perform lying wonders, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. And so then they amp it up a little bit. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
He's quoting out of, they're quoting, they're actually quoting scripture. And they're quoting it out of Psalm 78, 24. A psalm, believe it or not, that is recorded, that records the unbelief and rebellion of the nation of Israel. They knew that one well. The one that showed their their ancestors' rebellion and and, uh, their unbelief, they knew that passage. The manna from heaven, they had eaten the bread there. So Jesus said this to them, though. Very truly, double, these are double positive things he's making a statement on. They're like a double amen. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. Like, what are you thinking? Moses isn't the one who provided that bread. But it is my father. Look at, look what he does here. He says, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. He's just compared himself to deity, right? He's just said, I'm God. My father is the one who gave you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you see what he did there? Do you see what he did there? He just went from the manna from heaven was provided by my father who gives bread from heaven. For the bread of God, the bread of God, is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In his reply, our Lord sought to deepen the people's understanding of the truth. It was God, not Moses, who gave the manna. So they must take their eyes off of Moses and focus them on God. God gave the manna in the past, but the Father is now giving the true bread in the person of Jesus Christ. He's come down from heaven, taken on a body, and now he's the true bread. The past event is done, but the present spiritual experience goes on. So once the true bread, now, true bread is presented. Because what do they say immediately? They're like, well, man, we want that bread then. Sir, they say, sir, they said, always give us this bread. We, why wouldn't we want that bread? So if you're going to do up a bunch more bread, like we saw you do Yesterday, you're going to take five more loaves and do that. Why don't you give us that kind of bread? Where's, we, we want that, we're going to seek that kind of bread. We don't want just any old bread. Don't give us no barley bread anymore. We want that kind of bread. And then, this is when things start to kind of go awry during the sermon process. Then Jesus declared, I am, I am the bread of life. Interesting. God sends down bread from heaven to give life to the world. In that Ephesians 2 that we read earlier, it says when he found us, we were dead in our trespasses. And it took the Son of God to quicken us and bring us back to life. Faith, but in Jesus and what he'd done on the cross. But he says this in continuing it. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Jesus clearly identifies what bread he's talking about, what the bread is. He is the true living bread that came down from heaven. But he, this is what's beautiful to me. He didn't come just for Israel. He didn't come. He came for the whole world. And he came not just to sustain life, not just to temporarily sustain your life and make you older in age, but he came to give life. Because I don't know about you, but in that Ephesians 2 passage, he said, when he found me, I was dead in my trespasses. He had to bring me to life. We're going to see seven different times in this chapter 6. I'm only getting to touch one of them. But in the next couple sermons, we're going to see it again, where we see the Lord referred to his coming down from heaven. I am the bread of life who came down from heaven. He says it before. God sent bread from heaven. And he says, I am that bread that he sent. I am the bread of life. It's a statement that declares him to be God. And it's a statement that declares that he's here to be the bread that we need for that spiritual part of us to make us alive. In his reply to their hasty request, Jesus used two key words that I saw here. And they often appear in John and in other places. Those two words are come and believe. Come and believe. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. They're right there. To come to Jesus, to come to him means to believe on him. And to believe on him means to come to him. Believing is not merely an intellectual thing that happens. It's not just giving mental assent to the fact that he's Christ and that he died on the cross. That's not what he's saying. Come to the real him. See, they had already come to him. They were following him all around. But they didn't believe in who he was. But now he's trying to set them straight. If you come to the real me, if you come to me as son of God, because he just told him, I am the bread of life. I am is a God term. We're back to the I am's. He's going to say I am like seven or eight times in this, the rest of the book. He repeats that phrase, I am. It's the uh, term that Matthew used last week that Eli, uh, I can't say it cor correctly, but it, it's ego elomai. And so I am, but now he's putting a, uh, another term with it. I am what? I am, and he puts a metaphorical term. I am the bread of life. He's not actual bread, but he's the bread of life. If you eat of this bread, you'll have life. But he says, if you come to me and believe, to come to me means to believe. So he says, he says, believe on him means to come to him. Believing is not merely intellectual. It's more than that. It's to place faith in it. It means to come to Christ and yield yourself to him completely. And then what happens in verse 36? As much as I love these different passages here, I love that. Uh, the 34 and 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. But then we get to the crux of things. We get to verse 36. 
And what does he say there? He says, but as I told you, you have seen me. I'm standing in front of you. You've seen me do works. You've seen me do all these different things. And now, this happens. You have seen me, and still, you do not believe. You watch me feed all these, all of you. You watch me feed everybody with five loaves and two fishes. You've watched me do other miracles or other signs that I've done. And you're looking right at me. You see me doing these things, and you still don't believe. You want to follow after me because I can do things for you. Um, you, you want to believe on me to a point. You believe that I can do miracles, so you follow after me. You, you want to do these different things. You want to follow after me because I can feed you. You want to do things because you want to follow after me because I can heal people. You want to follow after me because you realize I'm somebody special, but you're not really believing in who I really am and who I'm telling you I am. And the prophecies that I'm fulfilling right in front of you, you're not believing them. And so I, I thought about that. Some of the other I am's, I'm thinking of them now in my head. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. There's these different I am's. Some of them are metaphors. Some of them are actual realities of who he really is. But I think as I looked at this passage, I started to think, now, where do you go with this? Well, if you're an unbeliever and you're attending Valley Bible Church, you've never placed your faith in Christ. You, you believe that there's a God. You believe there's a Jesus. You might have believed that, you might believe there's a Jesus and he died on a cross. You might believe the full spectrum as a factual thing intellectually you believe that there was a christ that there was a jesus christ who walked the face of the earth you might even believe he died and he was born he was born of a virgin he died on a cross buried and rose again you might believe all of that but you don't believe he was who he said he was you think well, he's just a good man he was a good prophet he was a he was considered you know there's there's religions that believe he was a prophet but he wasn't god so they leave him far short of what they need him to be in order to be saved by him so when you, when you look at that, so the, the challenge that I would say today, the, the thing you take away from this is, if you're one of those individuals, and you come to Valley and you think, you know, I, I kind of like this place. It's kind of a safe environment. People are very nice to each other when you are able to come. I know that we're not here right now. But my kids enjoy the youth group, or my kids enjoy the children's programs, and it's a safe environment, and they do, do a lot of great events, and they do a lot of wonderful things for the community even. Well, that's great. We're glad you're here. We want you to be here. But oh, if you don't meet the bread of life, if you don't take the bread of life and take him into you. You see, bread that sustains you is very interesting. Regular physical bread that I eat, I make a sandwich out of and eat, that'll sustain me. Does the bread do me any good if I just lay it on my forehead? No, the only way that bread is going to sustain me is if I take it in, if I bring it into me. Then it, the nutrients from that and all of that, that all takes over and it feeds me inwardly. It's the same is true with the bread of life. If you don't take him in you, if you just have him in the periphery of your life, 
but you never accept him fully, inviting him in to be Lord and Savior of your life. He's the king in your life. If you don't do that, you have nothing that will sustain you eternally. You just got this peripheral outward, I feel good about myself, everybody looks at me like I'm a good guy because I go to church every week. And my kids love going to church, so oh, it's a really a good thing. Well, that's, it's true, that is good, we want you to come, but we also want you to know our Savior. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to take him in. We want you to accept him fully, to place complete trusting faith in him. Like I sat on the stool. We want you to say, well, here's Jesus. He's that stool, but you don't believe in that stool will hold you up until you sit in it, sit on it. And then you've placed your faith in it. We really want you to do that today. I'd love for you to do it while you're watching this at home right now or wherever you're at watching. I would love for you to say, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I've been, I've been coming to church, but I've never really met the Savior. I want to take the bread of life. I want him as my Savior. Well, I'll tell you, that's not that hard to do. It's not really hard to do. It's a simple thing. It's a, it's a matter of saying, you know what? I realize I need a Savior. I, I realize that I can't be good enough to get to God. I realize that God's done everything I need through his son. He's done all the work. The only work I need to do is believe. That's, the only, that's what the passage said, right? The only thing you need to do to come to Christ is believe in him, to put your faith in him. So this, this morning as you're watching this, you can say, I want to accept Christ as my savior by simply saying, I know I need a savior. I know that I can't get there. Any, Christ is the only way. He's the only way I can get there. I believe he died on a, took, he was a human, took on flesh, God took on flesh, died on a cross for me, was buried on the third day, he ascended, he rose again and ascended into heaven with 500 witnesses watching him. 1 Corinthians 15, one through four, lays it out pretty clearly. If you wanna believe in him today, if you wanna call on him today, what did he promise? What was the promise he made there? Let's see. In that verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You can have that today. You can have that right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till we're back here from the COVID virus. You don't even have to wait until, until you call the church offices tomorrow to find out. You can take care of this today, right now. You can do that. And then the, the other thing I looked at in this passage, now, that was for the person I just talked to that doesn't understand what it means to be a child of the king. So I just explained that really briefly. And if you have questions, please call the church office. We'll be glad to talk to you about that. The other one, though, for you as believers, those of you who know him as the bread of life, there was a section there that talked about what works can we do. Remember that? I, I kind of went past it. But what works can we do? Well, I just have a question for you this morning. Are you fully trusting in God this morning, or are you trying to work your way through? Are you trying to do things to please the Lord? Now, I want to say that in the right way, that we are supposed to do things that please the Lord, but not because we're trying to gain his, some special salvation plan from him. That's not how it works. 
He's already taken care of that through his son, and you know that. But I think sometimes what we do is we get under the laws. We start getting under all the rules and the regulations, and we sort of have a tendency to quit trusting and believing in the Lord like we're supposed to. We start to believe in our own strength to do things that will gain favor with the Lord. And that, does, that never works. It never works. So I just challenge you this morning to reflect a little bit. That's the challenge of the sermon. Reflect a little bit on what that looks like. What does that look like in my life? Am I doing that? Am I, am I trying to work my way there? Am I volunteering for things because I'm trying to get an attaboy from God? Or am I volunteering and doing things at the church because I love the Lord and I know he wants me to serve him? See the difference. One says, I want to do it so I get something. The other says, I want to do it because I've already gotten everything I could possibly get from this Lord. He's already taken care of all of my needs. I just want to work for him because I love him and because I appreciate what he's done. So I, I came up with the big idea of this passage was the bread that brings eternal satisfaction. This Christ, when you take him as the bread of life, when you consume of him in that way, when you come to him, when you believe in him, you'll never hunger again and you'll never thirst again. He gives eternal satisfaction for all of the nutrients that you need for your spiritual life. And you know what I found out? Serving him and taking him as my savior, he takes care of all my physical needs too. I, I haven't gone hungry lately. Um, he, he has a tendency to take care of those things too. So there you go. There's the sermon. I trust that you, um, thank you so much for being with us this morning. And um, I hope that if you have any questions um, that you need to ask in our office staff is here on Monday through Friday, you know, from about 8.30 in the morning to 4.30 every day. And we will take your phone calls and deal with that as needed. If you have any prayer requests, please go on our valleybible.org forward slash prayer and put those requests in. The staff here prays every Wednesday. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. I thank you for this passage that says that you are your son. You provided for us the bread of life, the one that when we, when we come to him and we believe on him, we not only will never hunger, but we'll never thirst. And um, wow, <laughs> that is incredible. So we thank you for this passage. I pray that um, your will will be done in the lives of your people that have heard it this morning, that they will, um, uh, they'll reflect. They'll take a look at themselves. If, they're, if they've never placed faith in Christ, I'm praying for them right now, Lord, that one whose heart has just been, they just got a question in their mind now that maybe they didn't have before. I, I pray they will follow through and get the answers to the questions that they have. And to the believer who's been struggling because they're trying to do all the works they're thinking they got to work their way. Lord, let them rest in you. Let them put their faith and their trust in you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us.